following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Now, boys and girls, what are parents supposed to do for their children? What do you expect your mommy and your daddy to do for you each and every day? How would you describe your parents' job at home? What would be some of the key words you would use in such a job description? Perhaps you'd use the word love, and protect, the word provide, or instruct, clothe, clean, teach, care for, or feed. And do you know why it's important for your parents to do these things for you? Because you, whether you like this or not, you cannot do these things for yourself on your own. We might say that you depend on your parents for daily food, shelter, care, even your daily bread. I know you don't always like that, do you? I know some of you don't like to be reminded of that. Your constant need for your parents to help you and to provide for you. That you have to depend on other people. That's a very frustrating thing for all of us who like to be independent and self-sufficient. Well, as we continue working through the Lord's Prayer, Christ speaks to this very issue. We come tonight to the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. And up to this point, we have considered the church's three top priority prayer requests. That God our Heavenly Father would ensure the proper honoring of His name, the coming of His kingdom, which we pray for each and every Sunday evening before the evening service, and then also the doing of His will among men, even as it's done in heaven with complete submission and obedience and even joy in the doing of His will. Well, now, this evening and for the next few weeks, we're moving into the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which contains three different petitions. Petitions that have to do with our needs, with us actually coming to God and asking for things for ourselves, not selfishly, but according to Christ's design. Remember, this is His model prayer for his disciples. He's telling them, he's teaching them how to pray. And in this, in this passage this evening, we're looking at that fourth petition, as I've mentioned. And what do we pray for in the fourth petition? Well, we just recited it together out of the shorter catechism. We pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. Christ taught his disciples to bring this request for daily bread to God's throne room, to His very throne of grace, because of their great need for God to care and provide for them in His name, in Christ's name. When we pray this petition, we acknowledge, confess, and even to a certain degree, we act on this basic truth of the Christian faith that I want each and every one of you, boys, girls, brothers, sisters, men and women, I want all of you to take home tonight that every good gift in this life comes to us from God the Father through Christ the Son. A basic truth of the Christian faith, which Christ is implicitly teaching his disciples in this petition, that every good gift in this life comes to us from God the Father through Christ the Son. 
Now, we'll consider this doctrine, this fundamental truth, and our relationship to it under two headings tonight. First, our need, and then secondly, God's gift. In the first place, our need. This has two aspects or layers. Our need as creatures and our need as sinners. Our need as creatures is a fundamental need shared by all men, isn't it? And that's you are not self-sufficient or independent. Most of us, I would hazard a guess, would not last very long in the middle of the Amazon rainforest all by ourselves without some kind of help. And such is the case for us each and every day, and we ought to be reminded of it. We are not self-sufficient. God alone possesses that divine attribute of self-sufficiency, of total independence, of self-dependence. Uh, boys and girls in the secondary school, Sunday school class, you might remember from months ago at this point what the fancy theological term is for this divine attribute, this attribute of God, this characteristic of Him, His aseity, that He is utterly independent of His creatures. He doesn't need us. We need Him, but He doesn't need us. Paul preaches on the Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 as much to the Athenian philosophers. He confronts them with this truth. He says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He, get, he Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. Notice how Paul fleshes out both sides of the coin here. God's total independence and our utter Dependence. We need God. Job in chapter 12, just before the passage Dr. Piper preached this morning, tells us the very same thing. He says, In God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Indeed, He has appointed the days and the times, both of our birth and of our death, of every trial and every triumph we encounter. He has determined it all. Our lives are ever and always in His hand. He upholds us. In Him we live and move and have our being or exist, as Paul declared. Now, this great distinction between God and man uh, on this point is very important for us to recognize as we consider this petition, give us this day our daily bread, because it should invigorate for us not only the petition, the, the coming to Him, asking for that which we need, but it should also invigorate and enliven and motivate our praise to Him, even as we sang of the wonder and glory of His awesome power and might described in terms of His works in Psalm 104. You may have been wondering, boys and girls, why is Pastor Groff having us sing all 11 verses right at the beginning of the service? It's because I found not one of them to be dispensable. We couldn't throw any of them away. We need that glorious picture in its fullness of all that God is to us as our creator. We utterly need him. And then a corollary doctrine to this, something that's important to recognize, is that God created us for his mere good pleasure. And we look to him then for our every need. Now, there's a second aspect to this need. We need him not only as, as creatures, but we also need him as men and women laboring under a curse, as sinners. And this is where the urgency 
uh, really comes to the fore here in our petition, give us this day our daily bread. The larger catechism, as it does in most things, actually expands on this quite a bit more. In Westminster Larger Catechism 193, which explores the same question, what is it that we're praying for when we pray the fourth petition? Part of that is that in Adam and by our own sin, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life and deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God and to have them cursed to us in the use of them. And that neither they or themselves are able to sustain us, nor we to merit, or by our own industry to procure them, but rather we are prone to desire, get, and use them unlawfully. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're acknowledging our need, not only as creatures, but even as sinners. Sinners, as Jonathan Edwards said, in the hands of an angry God, apart from His grace. You see, as children of Adam and Eve, and all of us are descended from them by ordinary generation, you are heirs of a curse. You've inherited guilt, and you've inherited condemnation in Adam. You've inherited, in fact, a debt you can't pay. And but by God's grace alone, the product of your work, everything you strive and labor for day by day would be withheld from you as garnished wages, as it were. Boys and girls, garnished wages is something horrible that your parents don't want anything to do with. And that's when you get your paycheck. And before you can even do anything with the money, some of it is taken away from you and garnished and sent to somebody else for some reason or another. You don't want anything like that. That would be like you get a dollar for allowance one week and your parents keep 50 cents of it for some reason, which you have no control over at all. That's what garnished wages are. Jeremiah 5.25 puts it this way. Your iniquities have turned these things, that is rain and harvest, the good things of this world, away. Your iniquities have held them back from you and your sins have withheld good from you. In such a state, you stand condemned. You stand separated from God. And except by His intervention, you're bound for eternal conscious torment and anguish in hell. That's a sobering reality that we're confessing when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. In such a state, you stand condemned. Furthermore, as you do use the things you receive in this life, then you will find that the words of Genesis 3.17 ring far too true for your liking. Namely, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And Paul was right in Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. In other words, all things are touched by sin and its effects. We desperately need God's gracious deliverance out of this cursed condition. Amen? As far as the curse is found, we need God to come and to deliver us. Now, more than any particular item or commodity, more than any bare piece of bread or, or money in a paycheck, we need uh, God's blessing upon our spiritual well-being such that we can actually enjoy the things we receive and that we're praying for, as well as on the competent portion of the good things of this life, which we hope to receive from his hand, which we express in this prayer. We need God's help. We need his salvation. We need his grace to accompany even the basic 
things of this life, food and shelter and clothing. To illustrate this, consider how God provided daily bread to his people in ages past. Children, what was that bread called that the Israelites ate and, and gathered day by day in the wilderness? Was it called angel food cake? No, it wasn't. It was called manna. Manna. And what does God tell us in his word as to the reason why he provided this manna to his people in the way that he did? Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses as the mouthpiece of God, says this directly. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand what? We said it after the scripture reading tonight. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So what is this blessing that we're pleading for to accompany the competent, uh, or a competent portion of the good things of this life? What is it that we're asking God for? We're asking that God would give his needy people uh, this blessing that Moses speaks of that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is none else but himself as he has revealed himself to us in his word. That's what we're pleading for. We've discussed this earlier today in Sunday schools. We're working through Jeremiah Burroughs' classic, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. If you're not in that Sunday school, I recommend it to you. It's an excellent book. The one thing necessary for God's creatures for this contentment that Burroughs speaks of and that Dr. Piper even mentioned tonight before the service, the one thing necessary for God's creatures and those who have sinned against him is this, to know and thus to have God as reconciled friend, to have him as divine comforter, to have him as both creator and as redeemer, as Lord of our lives and as savior of our estates, of our spiritual well-being. This is possible only through faith in Christ Jesus who gave his life to save needy sinners. It's a message that we preach week in, week out here, that Christ the Son of God became man, taking to himself a true nature, a true human nature, a reasonable soul, being conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin and lived and died, that sinners might be gathered into his kingdom as a gift for his father, as even a bride for himself. And if you do not have Christ this evening, then the rest of this sermon really is of no use to you. And so I plead with you, I plead with you right now, as an ambassador of Christ, not only to keep listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth, not only to keep on listening to the sermon, but to cry out from your heart, even now in this moment, to Christ who lives and who comes to you in his word, bearing this, his gift of himself as Savior. And that brings us to our second heading then, relating to our prayer request, give us this day our daily bread, and our big idea, every good gift in this life, comes to us from God the Father through Christ the Son. We've looked at our need in two aspects, and now we can consider God's gift. Again, in two aspects. First, in terms of provision, what He provides to us in this gift. But then also, secondly, in terms of protection, how He protects us as He gives us this gift and protects it for our use. In the first place, we pray in terms of provision. When we're, when we're saying, give us this day our daily bread, notice we're asking for him to do something for us today, 
to do something for us right now, day by day, and, and for the day to come. We're asking for something in this life. We're asking for those things, such things, that are delivered to us through means of God's providence. What Dr. Piper spoke of at some length in his sermon this morning. That ordering uh, of, God's, uh, of, of affairs in the world such that God receives the most glory out of his world and we receive that good which we need in order to glorify and to enjoy him. Jacob, the patriarch in Genesis 28, describes it this way. He made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. What is Jacob vowing there? He's not saying, I will do nothing and wait upon God to provide everything for my needs. We know from the coming narrative in Genesis following this statement that Jacob works really hard and with some cunning, actually, to procure those things he needs for his day-to-day affairs. Rather, what we're saying is that in all of our work, in all of our labor, in all of our striving day by day for our needs, we seek to provide for ourselves not out of self-dependence or self-reliance, but we're providing for ourselves in full dependence upon God from whom we receive such gifts. In the second place in this provision, we're also asking God uh, to give us this day our daily bread as a blessing to us and not as a curse. Uh, which of you boys and girls would ask your mom or daddy for moldy bread out of the bread cabinet if you knew it was in there? Of course you wouldn't. You would be asking for good bread. You want a blessing with the bread, perhaps even toasted and buttered and with some sugar and cinnamon or something tasty that would be both delicious and more or less nutritious in that case. And certainly when we're praying to God, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking for something good from God's hand, for a blessing from Him. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In other words, when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, when we're seeking for something blessed from God's hand, something good for us from Him, What we're asking for is that he would give us not only the things we need, but also the spirit we need in order to be filled with gratitude, to receive these things with contentment. And that leads to then the third point under this provision. We're asking God to provide for us with spirit-wrought contentment. 1 Timothy 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. What good are good things without true contentment in Christ? Think about it. If you lack contentment, then no matter what you receive, you'll always want more. You'll be stuck on what philosophers call the hedonic treadmill Wanting more and more sensation, more and more wealth, more and more friends and relationships, more and more accomplishments and achievements, more and more accolades and honors, you'll never be content. But if you're content by God's Spirit in Him, then you can get by with very little in this world. Now, God sometimes gives us much and sometimes He gives us little. But the point here that I'm seeking to make is when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying as well for the blessing 
of contentment that's worked in our hearts by His Spirit. We can't make it on our own. Even this contentment itself is a gift. Now, we pray for God's gift in terms of provision. We also pray in terms of protection. We pray that we would be kept from all things that are contrary to our temporal or earthly support and comfort. We're praying not only that we would receive a competent portion of the good things of this life, that He would provide for us, but also that He would protect us from anything that works against receiving that competent portion of the good things of this life. The wise man says in Proverbs chapter 30, perhaps nowhere better than here, keep deception and lies far from me, give me neither poverty nor riches, Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Now consider what this wisdom saying is telling us about this, this truth of pleading with God to protect us from anything that works against the good things that we receive from him. What is it that we are shown should be our chief or most important and highest aim in all of our getting, in all of our receiving, in all of our working and doing. It's not comfort. It's not even physical satisfaction or good health. It's not well-being. No, those things are good, by the way. But rather, our highest and chief aim is that God would be fully acknowledged as God and Lord among men, that He would be honored, that His name would be hallowed, and so our prayer, give us this day our daily bread, must serve, in fact, the same ultimate ends of the first three petitions. Do you remember them, boys and girls? What are those first three petitions? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we shift now in the Lord's prayer to things that we need, give us this day our daily bread. In fact, we're still praying for the first three things. They don't go away. This is a unified whole. I don't want you to miss this. As you memorize your catechism and you memorize all of these questions and answers about the six petitions and the preface and the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, don't forget this. They all go together. It's a beautiful, harmonious whole. You don't pray, give us this day our daily bread, without praying, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. You can't do that as a Christian. To try to rip one out all on its own would be to cause it to fall over lifeless as a hypocrite. Because you cannot ultimately be concerned for yourself, you see. But rather, you must be concerned for the things of God. Doesn't this challenge each and every one of us? Those of us who have spent some years in, in working you know, to provide for our own needs, doesn't this challenge us? It's so easy to get caught up in, in our works, to, to get caught up in our day-to-day -day routines and activities, and we lose sight of why it is we're doing what we're doing. You know, it's not just the preacher who's seeking to honor and glorify God in his day-to-day -day labors. It's each and every one of us. Whether you're an administrator or a salesman or a doctor or a lawyer or a contractor or a logistics professional or a teacher or whatever you are, your chief and highest aim, your goal as you labor for your daily bread is indeed the glory of God who reigns on high, who has given us all things, life and breath and every good thing. The all-wise Christ 
who gives his disciples this prayer, he says something very similar to the wise man in Proverbs. And he says it in this very chapter, the end of chapter 6. If your Bible's open before you, you can look at verses 31 and 32 with me. What does he tell the disciples in verses 31 and 32? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Boys and girls, my friends, trust in Christ to save you. And then trust in his spirit. Seek after his righteousness by that spirit of the Son. And seek after his kingdom. Trust in God, your heavenly Father, then, to provide you with all you need for faith and godliness in this life. So that when you pray, give us this day our daily bread. And in that prayer is this request that he would secure not only the commodity of bread, but also all the blessings that attend it when it's received with contentment and gratitude. Do so with trust in him to deliver. You know, parents... And those who spend time around children know that there comes a time in each child's life, right around toddlerhood, ages two and three, that the words, me do it, me do it, become a frequent and often inappropriate refrain. Sure, there's some things that are okay for a toddler to do on his own, like peel a banana, maybe throw a tissue out in the trash, but certain other things are absolutely and horrifyingly not appropriate for toddlers to do on their own, such as cooking an omelet on the stovetop. If one of our little ones here tonight, we go home and they're hungry and they demanded me do it for cooking at the stove, every one of us parents would say in some way, shape, or form, no, absolutely not. You're not doing it. That would be the responsible and loving thing to do. Uh, That's what parents do, isn't it? As we take care of our little ones. However, if one of our children says to us, please give me food, or please I'm hungry in the morning, the responsible and loving thing to do as parents would be to prepare something nutritious and delicious for that little one. And so when we ask God then, each and every morning perhaps, give us this day our daily bread, according to Christ's direction and in his name, seeking for his spirit and for the contentment that comes down as a gift from above. Then he is faithful and righteous to provide for us exactly what we need. For every good gift in this life comes to us from God the Father through Christ the Son. Now one last point in conclusion. Note this. It's not for your sake alone that God provides you with food, clothing, shelter, comfort, daily bread, and ultimately salvation. No, it's for Christ's sake that he comes to you in your need as a creature, as a sinner, and gives you gifts to meet your needs. He does this for Christ's sake, that we as his church would be prepared for him as a bride is prepared and adorned and then presented to meet her husband on their wedding day. Indeed, when we come To God, through Christ, we receive gifts for Christ's sake, for his glory, that great motivation 
which every Christian has beating in his or her chest, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And then when you pray for those daily needs, think on that, that the God who saved you did so for Christ. And He's the same God who will provide for your daily needs, even so for Christ's sake. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we bless your name and we ask you to apply this message to our hearts by your spirit, that you indeed would take your word and inscribe it as with an iron stylus upon stone upon our hearts, that it would be indelible, that it would be unerasable, that it would be permanent. Lord, we pray that you would claim us for yourself in ever fuller measure that you would endow us with your spirit and all dignity and virtue by merit of his presence with us. That you would give us the righteousness of Christ, that we would wear it and not our own vain works as we come before you. Indeed, Lord, even as we dedicate ourselves to you this week at the close of this service, we plead with you to grant us your spirit to sanctify us, to set us aside for your purposes. And we pray now that you would take up this meager offering that we bring tonight and to set it aside for your purposes in the advancement of your kingdom, that your name would be hallowed among all men and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit antiochpca.com.